0: Father, God, this evening, we thank you for that truth and the beauty of that song and the message that it tells. And God, we thank you that at the end of it, we can just see, God, the the truth and such a revelation that we're so thankful, God, that I know for me, God, I'm so thankful that you didn't leave me behind, God. I'm so thankful, God, you didn't ignore me. I'm so thankful, God, that you didn't see me for my sin, but you saw me as someone that you wanted to chase down. And God, we thank you that we have three stories at this stage tonight, you know, able to declare your goodness, God, that you chased them down through all different means, through all different ways you spoke to them, God. And we thank you, God, that there there is celebration, God, in heaven. That three lost people became found, God. We thank you, God, that we said, and I have such a testimony, God, of your love, that it chases us down. That as you spoke on that cross, God, 100 billion failures of my life and the rest of our lives just disappeared as far as the east is from the west. So thankful for that, God. And so, God, I pray that as we come around your word now that you would speak so clearly and evidently to every single one of us, that that we would leave this place changed, God, knowing you better, loving you greater, and ready to carry out the command that you call for us to make disciples of all nations, God telling them of the great story of what you have done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you have a Bible, could you open to Luke chapter 15? Luke chapter 15. It's going to come up on the screen uh, if you don't have a Bible. But I just want to read uh, the first 10 verses of of Luke chapter 15. Uh, And in this, Jesus is is telling some stories or or what he calls are, are parables, and they're usually an earthly story. This is the way I was taught in primary school. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 down to verse 10. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8, he says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house uh, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus goes on to tell a third story, and one that we might be a lot more familiar with, which is the the parable of the lost son, and tells about how the son, the, uh, the father has two sons and the youngest wants his inheritance and he takes it and leaves. And then he spends it sporadically and realizes that he is the lowest of the lows. And he then makes a decision to return to the Father. And again, it's a similar theme story where the, the Father celebrates with the Son. And with this, I want to speak around the title tonight of It Only Takes One. It Only Takes One. Uh, you see, in life, it can only take one thing to push you over the edge. Um, and I found this uh, with Kelsey and I uh, a couple of months ago. I pushed her over the edge. I was, uh, I was in church, and I, knew, I think it was a Tuesday, and I, I knew that I had a meeting that night in church, so I decided I was just going to work on and stay on uh, in church, and so I told Kelsey, I'll probably not be home tonight. Now, Kelsey, for many of you know, is a teacher, and she teaches in Kilkeel High School, which is about an 80 or 90-minute drive from where we live in Donald. So she leaves about quarter past seven in the morning, gets there just before nine, and then she will leave at about 3.30 or 4.30, depending on if she has uh, something on after school. And then she'll get home at about six o'clock sometimes. So I think she had Tuesday, she says, it's her worst day um, in school. She's got quite a a rough class. Um, So it was a bad day already. And then she had to travel all the way home and then when she got home she walked in and our house was a little untidy so she felt the need to, to tidy it up uh, so not a great start bad day, it's a Tuesday coming home, had to tidy up a messy house uh, and then she had to put dinner on and so I, I was staying in the office because we had a, a meeting but she texted me and says I'm going to leave you some dinner and it's going to be chicken and chorizo risotto Kelsey makes the greatest chicken and chorizo risotto so I was like, yes! Like, I think that's how I got through the meeting. I was like, that's all I'm focused on, chicken and chorizo risotto when I get home. So the meeting finished. I think it was quite a late one. And I came home and straight in the door, threw my bag down right into that microwave. I nearly jumped in with it to get this heated. And turned the, the chicken and chorizo risotto on, made myself a drink, uh, and then came in and sat in front of the TV to eat, to eat my dinner. And I was so excited, and Kelsey was in the kitchen doing something else, and I, was, I got a spoonful, and I was just about to eat it, so excited, and she just goes, oh yeah, sorry, by the way, I forgot to tell you, it's not chicken, um, it, it's turkey, and honestly, the plate near went out the window, I was like, it's what? And some of you are thinking, slight overreaction, like, it's poultry, it tastes the same, what's the difference? Well, I had my mind on this, and I was like, that was me, I was like, Kelsey, I'm not eating it. And she was like, a good one, David. I was like, Kelsey, I'm not eating it. Like, it's, it's turkey. I'm not eating it. David, you're having me on, aren't you? Kelsey, I'm not eating it. There's, I'm not eating that. David, you have no idea what my days are. Kelsey, I'm not eating that. And it was this one thing. Like, then she came in. And it was, she was in the kitchen, and I was in the living room. And so we were just, like, talking to each other. But then, like, I heard silence. And then I heard footsteps. I was like, oh, no. Like, she's coming towards me. And she just peeked around. And was like, David, you're, you're joking, aren't you? no, Kelsey, I'm not eating this, I'm not eating this. And then like she went through me, which is rightly so. Like I should have just ate it. Um, But then like a couple of minutes later, like the tears came out, the waterworks, the crying started and I was like, yeah, I'm probably kind of wrong here. Um, But it was the one thing that just pushed her over the edge. She had a a rough day, it was a bad day and it was the one thing that pushed her over the edge. And, And the significance is there is significance and power in one thing. You see, you could go out for a meal and the, your dinner comes down to you, and if you find one her on that, that is you done. You're out of there. You're not going back to that place. It, it can take one mark that causes you to miss a grade in an exam. One mark. It, it is one mistake between you and a friend that can break years of friendship and trust. It, it's one match or one spark that can start a forest fire. Or it's one hello that could make or break someone's day. The power of one. It only takes one thing. And in all of these stories, as it only takes one thing to alter the course of your meal or a friendship or an exam. It also only takes one sin to alter the course of your destiny. It only takes one sin. You see, God is a holy, perfect being he cannot sin, it is not part of who he is. He, he cannot do it. He is perfect, a perfect, holy being. He cannot sin and he cannot stand sin. And when we read in, in Genesis, of Genesis chapter 3, of the, the fall of the uh, in Genesis, the fall of man, we see that sin enters the world for, for all of us. I always think that like that, they've got some questions to answer like they really do. Like we all got tarred with that brush. But sin entered the world. And, and Romans 3, 23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us, we're all guilty in here of making mistakes. We're all guilty of impure thoughts. We're all guilty of the wrong action. We're all guilty of... of just losing it in the heat of the moment. We're all guilty of moments of regret in our lives. We have all sinned and all missed the mark. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I can try to justify my sin. I can try and justify that little white lie. I can try to justify that everyone else is doing it. Or I can try and justify and say, well, someone, they do worse than me. I haven't done as worse as that person. Or, ugh, it was only a wee joke. I wasn't really, Gosman I wasn't really doing it. It was just a wee joke. It was lighthearted. Or, that's just society now. That's normal. That happens. We're 21st century. That's the normal thing of life. And we try to justify our sin. But could you imagine going into like, a, a restaurant and finding a hair in your meal and saying to the waiter or waitress and them going, coming back with, yeah, but I washed my hair this morning. Yeah, dead on. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Or could you imagine like if you missed a, a grade in an exam and you came back with the, the, the reason or the excuse of, but I've done better than everyone else. Like everyone else done worse than me. They aren't justifiable reasons for us and our sin. You see, sin is sin. And it only takes one sin to separate us eternally from God. It wouldn't matter how good the reviews of a restaurant that you read had. When you go along and you find something like a her in your meal, that is you put off. It is enough to put you off. And it's the same with our sin. No matter how good our lives have been, it is one sin, one thing can separate us from God. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Good people, don't go to heaven, forgiven people too. There is no justification of our sins that we can offer or do ourselves. But we read in First John, chapter two, verse one and two. John writes this. He says, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John goes on to say that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice that paves away. He is a sacrifice that that bridges that gap between us and God that was separated by one sin. But listen to this, I love this. But, But not only for us, not only for our sin, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. Jesus Christ is the justification of Our sin is the justification what we need. He is the, the, the one who is able to make that gap that was separated by the one sin. He is the all that we need and all that we have. But for me, it's one sin that separates me and God. But over my life, there has been far more than just one sin. There is a multitude of sins. One sin can lead to many we can fall into that trap. You can fall into a trap at Christmas when you think, I just have one quality straight," And next you've had three tins of quality straight, two tins of roses. You're like, I started out with one. It all starts with one. One thing can lead to many. And the thing is, the enemy can make sin look so attractive over our lives. The enemy can make it look so attractive, that one thing which actually grabs us and makes us captive A Puritan, Thomas Brooks. He paints a really beautiful picture of of this. And he writes this. He says, Our enemy will bait our hook with anything we find desirable. He will bait the hook with anything that we find desirable. This means that he will gladly give us sex, money, power, pleasure, fame and fortune and relationships. Satan's goal for us is to take the bait without seeing the hook. To make it so attractive that we just go for the good thing without actually seeing the hook. And once the hook is in our mouths, he will then reel us in to take us captive. I love this bit. He says, his gifts are often very good things offered for sinful uses. He'll challenge us to examine the gift to ensure its quality. And listen to this, guys. That is the essence of the trap. That the gift may be good, but the giver is evil. The gift may be good, but the giver is evil. And Proverbs 14.12 says something similar. Proverbs 14.12 says that there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is things in this world that appear to be right to us, but in the end will lead to death. And the enemy's tactic, the enemy will want to lay out things before us and say, look at this. Doesn't this look good? Doesn't this relationship look attractive? Doesn't this fame and fortune and pleasure and and all of these things, they look attractive so that we will chase after them. But that's the enemy's trap and tactic, that we will see something that looks good and pleasing to our eye, and in in the end it will lead to death. I shared this a couple of weeks ago in our 412, that God is always good, but good isn't always God. God is always good, but good isn't always God. And so the enemy will, will leave things before us that look attractive to us, that we chase after. And then when we grab that, we don't even see the hook. And next minute, we are caught and we are reeled in. Thomas Brooks goes on to say, when we take the gift Satan and the demons give, we are in essence biting down on the bait. As a result, the hook of sin is in our mouth and Satan reels in us in as his captives. That's how it's easy for one thing, one mistake, one slip can cause us to have a multitude of sins. That one thing that we think looks good has caught us and we are gripped by it and we need more of it. But as I started, as it only takes one sin to separate us from God. It also take, only takes one person to mobilize God into action. And that is where we see in the passage that we have read you see, anything in the Bible, if the Bible mentions anything, it is of a significant importance. If the Bible says anything once, it is of significant importance. Now, this passage that we have read, I read two stories. And two stories were of the same theme. Something is lost, the person goes after and looks for it until they find it, then they celebrate. There is a celebration when the lost is found. So there's the story of the the one sheep out of the hundred that is lost. Immediately after, there is a story of the one coin out of the ten that is lost. And then immediately after, Jesus tells the story of the one son out of the two that is lost. Now that is three times the same theme is told. I think God is trying to tell us something. The significance and importance of this theme, that when something is lost and it is found, it is worth celebrating and add on the value of the fact that Jesus Christ himself is telling this story, we have something that we really need to take hold of here, church. We have something that is of incredible significance and importance. Do you know what mobilizes God into action? When one person is lost, that is what mobilizes God into action. If you were the only person on this earth, God would send Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you. It does not have anything to do with your past. It's not anything to do with who you are. It is one lost person that he would relentlessly chase after until you are found. He will leave the other 99 and chase after one. And I love what Luke chapter 15 verse 4 says. It says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Until he finds it, God is committed to chasing down lost people until they are found. He is committed to chasing down until he finds it. And tonight we're on this stage and we celebrate with people that God chased after, relentlessly pursued, did not give up until he found them. And there is a celebration in heaven and there's celebration in earth as three things that were lost, three people that were lost were found. What is amazing and what is encouraging challenge to us is we hear stories that for all of those people, it only took an invite. It only takes one. It took an invite. One invite has changed the lives of three people. An invite changed the lives of three people. On Wednesday at the Alpha Course, we we looked at the story of, of Billy Graham and and briefly looked at his conversion on a man called Albert McMacken who was 24 and lived in, I think it was North Carolina and he went along to a crusade and someone was preaching and he gave his life to Jesus and then he wanted to get some of his friends to come along, along to this crusade and he brought some of his friends and his friends gave their lives to God but there was this one particular friend he really wanted to come along to the crusade And the guy was going around, and he he enjoyed um, spending some time with different women, and so Albert couldn't get his friend along to this, but he finally invited him, said, hey, if you drive the van, well then, would you come along? And he said, yes, I'll come along. So he drove the van of some people going to the crusade, and the the guy, his friend, eventually peeked his head in and really enjoyed the service and, and went along and listened and actually gave his life to God that night, and that guy went well not went on to be he was billy graham all along but he went on to be billy graham who went around the world and, and preached to over He preached to hundreds of thousands of millions of people globally he was friends uh, very close friends to i think it was around 10 US presidents and the 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 burden and, and the actually the Command was not that we are called to go and be Billy Grahams and preach to millions of people. But the challenge I want to leave to, with us is, can you be the Albert McMackin? Can you influence one person? Can you impact one? We say this, but imagine if we all were to come and impact one person, this place would be packed. One person. It only takes one it only takes one. But if we're honest, we have this responsibility to share the good news and the story that we have. But here's my issue with it. I feel a, a sense of burden sometimes with, God, how, are, how am I supposed to save all of these people? How am I supposed to save them all? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 is going to come on the screen. Look at this with me. Paul writes, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You see, we feel the burden of saving people. I feel the burden that I need to have the conversation with someone in work or someone in, in your school or in your street. Or in your family. We need to have the right conversations with people. When people come to Alpha. It is our responsibility to have that conversation. And pray with them that they will be saved. You see we want to be reapers. We all want to be people who reap. The harvest. We all want to be people who pray the right prayer. We want to be able to write in the back of our diary We tally chart of how many people we prayed and we led to Jesus. And what that does is it gives us such a, a burden of responsibility that unless you prayed and led someone to Jesus, then you have failed. And that is the burden. That's why we worry. But look at verse five. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Guys, every single one of us in here the Lord has assigned you a specific task of what that is. We all want to be reapers. But what if your specific task is to be a planter? What if your specific task is to be a water of some seeds? God might be asking you to plant. And then that person that you, God is asking you to plant some seeds into... A couple of years, a couple of weeks or months down the line, they may go on to someone else and God's responsibility over that person is to water the seeds. And that person might go on and their resp- God has the next person's responsibility is to harvest. It doesn't matter if you plant, if you water or if you harvest. What, is matter, what matters is does that person become a follower of Jesus? What is your specific task? You see, if I had up here a, 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 a plant pot, And if I had some seeds and that I knew that my responsibility was to plant some seeds, then I would not be disappointed or frustrated that nothing grows immediately. Because I know that my responsibility and my task for this particular time is to plant. And if I know that there's some seeds in there and I need to water them, then I'm not going to be disappointed or frustrated that nothing grows or I don't reap anything immediately. Because I understand that there is a process. I understand that my particular part is not to reap the harvest but it's to play its part and you see this is where I wonder do some of us struggle because we get frustrated when we have those conversations with people in work when we get frustrated when we have conversations with people in school or in our streets or our neighbors or whoever that we've invited or we've done what we could but God is saying hey your responsibility is to plant your responsibility is to water this is your responsibility for this particular time. And so I wonder, church, what is, your, what is the task that God has assigned to you right now? What is the task that God has given you? Are you, supposed to, uh, are you supposed to plant? Are you supposed to water? Are you supposed to reap? What part of the journey are you on with the people that you come into contact with, verse 6 goes on to say, but God had made it grow. God had made it grow. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's. And then Galatians 6, 9, Paul goes on to write, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's not give up. If your responsibility is to plant some seeds into your neighbors, into your friends, into your work colleagues, if your responsibility is to water some seeds, then do not give up doing good. Do not get weary because just at the right time when God ordains that person to move into someone whose responsibility and task is to reap the seed, reap the harvest, then the church, the global body, we benefit. We reap a harvest that another life has made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. You see, it only takes one sin to separate us eternally from God. It only takes one person to mobilize God into action. And it only takes one invite for someone's life to be changed. But we only have one life here, guys. We also only have one life here on earth so let's make it count I'm going to read a, a poem from a guy called C.T. Studd, and the title is Only One Life it says two little lines I heard one day travelling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart only one life twill soon be past. only what's done for Christ will last only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life that still small voice, gently pleading for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let me love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be that if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. We have one life, only one life. Let's make a count for him, guys. Let's make a count. Many of you have a story to tell. Many in here have, have been faithful followers of Jesus. Can I encourage you to tell your story, to tell people your story. And let's not get bogged down with the burden But what if you're called to plant? What if you're called to water? What if you're called to reap? God might be calling you to be a planter or a waterer or a reaper tonight. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's trust him with the promise. Some of you in here haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. God might be calling some of you to come home tonight. He wants to bring that one lost person home. He is committed to chasing you down. Church, let's stand. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this song that just declares the incredible love of that Father that chases us down. Father God, I pray for every person in here, God. God, we know that that we have a multitude of sins over our lives. But God, I thank you that you chase us down and you are committed to chasing us until you find us. And Father God, I pray for those who, there's been a conviction on them tonight, that tonight they realize that there's been a separation between them and you. God, I pray that tonight they would hold fast to this truth that you are chasing them down and that you are committed to chasing them down. God, I pray for the church who feel a a weight of burden, God And worry about how do I save people God, I pray that you would speak so clearly What specific task you're assigning to us as the body Are we to plant seeds? Are we to water seeds? Are we to reap a harvest? Whatever it is, God I pray that you would make it so, so clear But one thing is true is this, God We stand here and are so thankful, God that you are our good shepherd who chases us down, that you pour out your love for us and you are committed to fighting the battle for us. We love you, God. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name.